There are some people that believe all employees should be self-motivated to reach excellence. Well, the truth is that's an unfair expectation. Thus, managers need to focus on what motivates each individual person, and it often starts with their own behaviors. Behavior drives attitude, and if we do things to help people understand their behavior, so an example of behavior driving attitude is making a list as a behavior. When I finish things and I can cross them off the list, it ups my attitude because I feel good when I've got, you know, five of the seven things on my list crossed off. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Management Decisions on LJN Radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma. True motivation often comes by working inside out. That is figuring out what others want. Mike Crandall is an experienced Sandler trainer who works with business owners to create and implement professional development strategies. And he's here with us to talk about the details of his book, Motivational Management, The Sandler Way, How to Get Salespeople and Other Employees to Do What You Want Them to Do for Their Reasons. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Well, Tim, I appreciate being a guest. Thank you for having me. So the book is Motivational Management the Sandler Way, How to Get Salespeople and Other Employees to Do What You Want Them to Do for Their Reasons. But let's flip that really quick because I think a lot of times people learn from mistakes or things they don't do the right way. What do you see are the biggest challenges that managers face as far as trying to motivate others or being able to manage them effectively? Yeah, uh, Tim, I appreciate that question. And, you know, throughout my career, before I I became a consultant and a coach, I was in the corporate world and in management for a good portion of that time. And throughout everything I've done, I've really seen two what I think key mistakes that managers make, Mm -hmm. um, or sometimes you might want to say 2.5, and (laughs) those is to think that carrots and sticks work. Uh, You know, historically, we've talked about fear and incentive, or carrots and sticks is the two motivation. And um, the challenge with fear and incentive motivation is that it works, but it's short-term. Uh, it's not long-term, and it's sustainable. The other couple of things that I see is that often, uh, and I know I was tremendously guilty of this, managers seem to think that others that work for them are motivated by the same things as they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if I'm a big golfer, I, I you know maybe roll out golf packages as incentives, and some of my people don't care about it because maybe they're not big golfers. And then the, the, the point five, which not nearly as common, but one that I see fairly frequently in organizations and team dynamics really play into this, is that we think we can motivate in groups. Hmm. If we've got 10 or 15 or 20 people on our team, we think that we can motivate them all the same. And frankly, that's very unlikely. Um, if I've got 10 or 15 or 20 people that are part of my team, sales team or any other type of team, there's probably different things that motivate some of them than others. Right. I want to go back quick to the idea of the fear and incentives, uh, the carrots and sticks. I like that uh, analogy there. Is that something that lost its effectiveness over the past, I don't know, couple decades? Is that something that never really worked, but we just sort of dealt with? I mean, how would you describe maybe the transition in the last number of years away from maybe that fear and incentive style into more of the motivational stuff we'll get into today? Yeah, and, and Tim, another great question. And I think that at one point in time, there may have been uh, some use of that. Uh, But even then, I think it was fairly short term. Mm -hmm. If you go back to the start of the Industrial Revolution, there weren't a lot of other jobs people could go get. (laughs) Manager could say, if you don't do this differently, you're going to lose your job. And if I didn't have another place to go work, maybe that had a little bit more effectiveness. And 
in today's environment where we're so virtual and so mobile, um, you know, threatening somebody's job doesn't have the same impact or, or value. And uh, so I think that there may have been some part to it that was useful at some point in time a long time ago. But today what I find is that managers that use either fear or, you know, incentives, they, they may get results, but they tend to be pretty short term. You know, you might be scared for a couple of weeks about your job, but one of two things happens. Either you're looking for a job and you leave <laughs> or... <laughs> Uh, you know, you realize that maybe it's an empty thread and nothing's really going to happen. So, right. you know, kind of like the, the the boy who cried wolf. If I cry wolf too many times, nobody pays attention. And I've seen a lot of organizations that we've gone into as a consulting firm where, you know, we pull the employees and they're like, man, they threaten to fire people all the time, but nobody ever gets fired. Uh-huh. <laughs> Take a joke out of it. Right. And, you know, th- threatening employees or firing employees isn't always the best way to do anything. But, um so I think that, you know, if there was a time it was really useful and valid, it's probably long gone. But, you know, in, in full defense of those, there are some times where there might be some short-term gains that can come from that. Mm-hmm. Got to be careful that we don't do long-term damage to the employees or the, the employees' morale or what they think about the organization or the manager. Now, of course, uh, what you did bring up as far as what can help motivate people and get people sort of going in the same direction might not be the same things that, as you said, the manager would be influenced by or motivated by. Can a manager really take enough time to learn what each of his or her employees is going to be motivated by or what's going to get them moving? It seems like that would take an awful lot of time that I would argue most managers are going to tell me, I can't do that. There's no way I can manage that and do everything else I'm required to do. Uh, the, the way that I always respond to that question, Tim, is what takes more time, getting to know your people and making sure we're getting good use and value of that relationship or recruiting and replacing and onboarding and training new people? Sure. And uh, most managers, when given those choices, are like, well, I don't have time. <laughs> to get to know my people and see what really matters, but I also don't have time to, to you know, <laughs> recruit and hire replacements either. And you, know, you kind of have a choice to make there. And um, you know, one of the things that, that I've seen throughout my career, and you know, I spend most of my time coaching CEOs and, and executives, but is that managers resist. Oh, I don't have time to do that. And you know, that, that's something that if they're, you know, if they're good, they should be self-motivated. And mm. to a certain extent, that's true, but the challenge is, is that if I can help them connect what matters to them in their life to the company's mission and goals and purpose and vision, we all win. Most employees, well, there's a few exceptions, but most employees want to be part of something. Now, they don't like to be told what to do, but if the manager can come and say, you know, hey, Tim, we're thinking about this. You've been here for five years. What are your thoughts? Hmm. And that obviously takes some energy, but upsetting you because I didn't include you in it, uh, in the maybe loss of productivity or production that comes from you not feeling comfortable or part of it, or maybe you're taking part of your day to look for a job and I don't even know it, uh, is obviously a big loss for the organization or the team as well. What impact do things like attitude and behavior have on day-to-day successes, day-to-day uh, demeanor that people might carry and might carry throughout, uh, you know, their careers, I suppose. But how are they intertwined, and, and what kind of impact do they have in, in an organization? Yeah, and, and that's one of my favorite things to talk about, Tim. You know, as a as a Sandler coach, and 
Uh, Sandler's got a methodology that's really built around the three things we can control, and we call that the Sandler success triangles, which the three points on that triangle are behavior, attitude, and technique. Hmm. And what we really want to focus on is, is, is how do we understand the connection between those and then what we can influence. And a, a philosophy that we have and we help our clients learn, not everybody gets this fast, uh, but is that behavior drives attitude. And if we do things to help people understand their behavior, and I'll come back and explain that, it really helps drive up their attitude. Mm -hmm. And so an example of behavior driving attitude is a very simplified example to some people is that the concept of making lists. There's a ton of the population that are list makers. Making a list is a behavior. When I finish things and I can cross them off the list, it ups my attitude because I feel good when I've got, you know, five of the seven things on my list crossed off. Right. And what, what we want to help our clients do and what we encourage people to do is really focus on how do we build things that are into the behavior of people that are within their control that can put them in, in situations and environments where they feel good about things. So an example, a lot of our work is with sales teams. If my only measurement of success for my salespeople is the dollars at the end of the week, no salesperson has total control over that. Mm-hmm. And I get to the end of the week and I say, Tim, your goal is $5,000 and you did everything perfect. You made all your calls, you did everything, but you only sold 4000 By pure numbers, you're a failure. Mm-hmm. But if, if I say, Tim, we obviously want the results, but we really want to focus on things that are in your control. What's in your control is how many times you pick up the phone and you dial it is you could do everything perfectly on a sales call, but at the end, if I choose not to buy from you, you don't have ultimate control, but you have ultimate control in picking up the phone and dialing it. And and what we find is when we build behavioral, and a lot of times we'll call them behavioral cookbooks for employees of things that are in their control, they feel better about things. You know, my goal was to make 50 phone calls. I made 50 phone calls, and I feel good about that. Sure. I didn't get quite all the sales, but... I achieved the goal that was within my control. And you can do the same thing for anything. Sales is an easy example to use, but I can do it for shop people, technicians, managers, customer service people, uh, people that work in accounting or finance. I can give them behavioral goals that can drive their attitude if I measure and monitor those things accordingly. I think that's great for people to hear, and I'm right with you as far as that being more motivating and beneficial, because I hear that a lot, even in the conversations we have about, hey, there's only so much I can control. Uh, but to your point, if you are controlling all those factors that you can, uh, you'll probably be successful in the long run. I mean, at least that's what I'm gathering from kind of the, the points you're bringing up here. Yeah, the way that we always talk about it is that if I manage behavior and I manage that properly, the results will take care of themselves eventually. Hmm. But if all I'm doing is beating you up because you haven't sold enough every week, eventually you're going to get sick of me beating you up <laughs> and you're going to look for another job and I'm not really helping you. Yeah. Say, so, you know, you, Tim, you made, you said you were going to make 50 calls. You made 52, which is awesome. And you deserve some huge credit for that. Now, what can we do to help you get better with those 50 calls next week? What are a couple things that you thought went well? What are a couple things that maybe we need to work on, et cetera? But understanding and helping connect those behaviors can really, really benefit motivation and the attitude that comes from that. Another phrase that I saw in here was the power of visualization. Now, 
I love sports, and I've coached quite a bit and played quite a bit, and especially as you get with older players, you talk about visualizing things they're going to do and, and how the, the game is going to play out for you. Is that the same kind of thing we're talking about here? Is it a different kind of visualization? Uh, direct us a little bit with what you mean by that. Yeah, and I appreciate that, and, and uh, kudos to you for the things you've done in sports and, and coaching others in sports is very fulfilling, so uh, I love that you've done that. But when we talk about visualization, there's kind of two different things that we talk about. And, uh, you know, visualizing, you know, what do you want to accomplish and what does success look like? And if you win this award, you know, picture yourself up on stage, etc. But the other thing that we really talk about, and there's a, a bunch of the book that's dedicated to this, is really helping people envision and dream about the future. Hmm. One of the things that I find is very uncommon in our society today is helping people really dream about what they want in the future. And, you know, there's actually an appendix in the book that is a step-by-step to have, you know, people they can do it for themselves or help their teams do it on, on how to how to envision the future. And we talk about what do you want to dream about and no rules, no holds barred, no, you know, dream whatever you want. And then how do we use some of those dreams to have visual cues for it? And we actually encourage, and it's funny, some people think that it's kind of childish, but I will share with you, it's very powerful, whether it's childish or not, encourage people to make a cut-and-paste dream board. Hmm. Uh, And most of my clients, and and I I coach a lot of very high-achieving people, somewhere in their home or in their office, or maybe it's the screensaver on their phone or their iPad, is Mm -hmm. visualization of their dream board. Maybe it's a cabin in the woods or... Maybe it's a boat on the lake, or maybe it's watching their kids graduate from college. But when we have those visual cues as reminders, it really helps us kind of figure out what's that really driving force that somebody's coming to work for. Right. One of the things that we find is if you ask people why they come to work, most people will say, I come to work for money. (laughs) (laughs) Independently wealthy, I'd probably sit at home. (laughs) The challenge is is that, that most managers, leaders, owners, just stop there. (laughs) Most people don't come to work just for the money. They come to work because what the money allows them to do. Mm, Sure. Maybe I'm working towards, you know, helping my kids have a better life than I had, or maybe I'm working towards, uh, you know, this. And although work's a big part of our life, most people don't let their lives revolve around work or shouldn't. But, you know, if you find out that somebody on your team is super passionate about the American Cancer Society because maybe they lost a parent to cancer and, and, you know, that's a big deal to them, well, then we should make sure that we know that because maybe we can help them do a fundraiser or other things that are going to give them greater purpose Hmm. than to work and punch in a clock. Yeah, I think those are uh, great pieces of advice, and uh, I think that word purpose, it really stands out to me, and I hope people listening can really appreciate that and, and understand that uh, there are many different reasons people do come to work, and you pointed out some of those uh, in- instances right there. Unfortunately, Mike, we are getting low on time here, but I wanted to give you the floor at the end. If there's anything you wanted to leave the listeners with, something we didn't touch on, something you wanted to emphasize, kind of a nice final takeaway for our audience today. Yeah, so there's two things I'd probably like to share. And one of them, one of the things we talk about in the book is that, you know, we really break motivation down into what we call the five twos, and that's TOs. And if we really start to look at what the internal things that drive people's thoughts and actions are, some people are driven to do things, to be things, 
to have things, to accomplish things, and to be known for things. Hmm. And if I can begin to learn those things about myself, and most people need to start with themselves in this, it's very helpful. But if I can also help my employees and learn what some of those are for them, it's pretty powerful. And and probably the last thing, uh, Tim, that I think would be important to leave, and I actually had a a CEO of a company that's been a client of ours for a long time make this comment, and I thought it was very powerful because I'm going to guess there might be a few people that are listening that want to pick up this book. And uh, he shared this as he was introducing me to a speaking engagement. And he said, Mike's book is really the how-to to help you understand the why. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about you got to have your why and you got to understand your people's whys. But most books and most speakers and most things out there today talk about what you need to do. You, you need to find out the why, but they don't give you a roadmap to do it. And I intentionally put this book together as a step-by-step roadmap so people could know more about themselves and more, know more about those that are part of their teams, whether it's officially as an employee or maybe a nonprofit leader that's overseeing a board. That, uh, if you really think about how can I get better, how being the operative word at understanding other people's whys and my own, and that's something that uh, intrigues you, uh, I encourage you to pick up a copy of the book and check it out. Excellent stuff, Mike, and a nice little bow on this conversation for sure. And as you said, I'm guessing a number of people are going to want to check out this book. So, Mike, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate all the insights and the examples. I think people can really relate to what you're talking about today. Tim, I appreciate being a guest and uh, appreciate what you do giving back to the community through your podcasts. That'll do it for us on this edition of Management Decisions. Once again, I'd like to thank Mike Crandall for joining us on the show. He comes to us from Sandler Training, and he is the author of the book, Motivational Management the Sandler Way, How to Get Salespeople and Other Employees to Do What You Want Them to Do for Their Reasons. If you have any feedback on this or any of our shows, or maybe you have a new topic you'd like us to explore, you can send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at the LJN. And you can listen to all of our episodes on iTunes or head to localjobnetwork.com slash resources. Everything there is complimentary for you as well. Thank you once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.